Hello, happy dwellers, and welcome to the Happy Dwelling Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here with me today, and I hope you have been well and are creating those great habits so your dwelling place can be a happy one. I'm having some technical difficulties if you can't hear. Um, There's this piece that goes in front of the microphone that's supposed to stop all your M's from M's and B's and B's and P's from sounding too muffled or whatever in the microphone, but it's not staying up and I don't want to keep uh, trying to hold it up because then you guys hear the sound that it's making. Um, Hopefully this isn't too bad now that it has moved away. So if you do hear your P's a little pronounced this time, uh, don't judge me too much. For this week, I just want to say I am grateful for family. I just had the pleasure of spending a lot of time with my mom's side of the family for Mother's Day and it was nice to see everybody and to really just see how different generations are. I'll put it like that. You know, my grandmother was there, my only grand anything that's alive right now and it was a pleasure speaking with her about some of the struggles that she had uh, growing up. So if you have any grandparents alive, go ahead and check on them and ask them the stories that you never have especially if you are an adult and they're still around because a lot of those stories will be lost as they pass on that's what i'm grateful for for this week hopefully that wasn't too sad for today's episode i am actually super excited about it i had the pleasure of recording this like twice already and it just it wasn't cutting it for me so here i am again doing it a third time the first time it was just like too monotoned second time i wasn't into it enough and i just want to make sure i give you guys the absolute best that i can and yeah sometimes it's difficult it's difficult having the finding the right time to record and being able to make it as perfect and making sure you say every little detail that you want to add this is no joke and um I'm working on my consistency and so far we have been consistent. We've got about seven episodes out and I'm going to continue that streak and hopefully I'll be able to break this one up into two episodes. It is a lot of content and depending on how many details I add to it will determine if this is broken up into two. But I guess you'll know through the title if I put part one or part two. So enough of me blabbing about that today's episode is going to be talking about the gut microbiome yes this beautiful beautiful topic that not a lot of people understand but we're we're kind of understanding a little bit more so if you have ever had any questions about what it is what a gut microbiome is how it works why it's important why do i care i'm here to answer all those questions And even more, I'm going to answer the questions about what you can do about it if you feel like you have a poor microbiome, how you can improve it, how you can just go forward with the adequate knowledge to help your microbiome help you. We'll put it like that. So with that being said, I want you guys to take a moment and close your eyes if you can. If you're driving, don't worry about it. And visualize a picture of the earth the globe earth something that you can picture that nasa would have taken a a beautiful photo through one of their uh satellites out there far out and i want you to you see all the beautiful land masses and 
the grand oceans that are also encompassing or that embody the earth. You see the Arctic. You see where there's excess white at the top and at the bottom at the north and south poles. You also see clouds covering the sky or whatever the case may be. Just visualize it for a second with me. And as you visualize this, I want you to look at your country. So I'm assuming most of, you, most of you guys live in North America. So now you can you can identify the United States within that North America. Now look for your state. Where is your state located on that globe? Okay. Now I'm going to ask something that's a little silly, but it'll get my point across. Now I want you to locate where you are on that globe. It's an impossible task, obviously, because you are way too small to really uh, find on that. But that doesn't mean you're not important. You are also extremely important despite the fact that, you know, you're tiny. (laughs) And I brought this up to just kind of show you that when it comes to the microbiome and our individual microbes, they are also equally as important as you are important to the earth. All of them help to make up a grand structure. And... They work together to make you you and make you the best version of you or a not so good version of you. So as I get deeper into the microbes and the microbiome, just keep that in mind because it's easy to dismiss this as insignificant, but it's very, very far from insignificant. As a matter of fact, the fact that science is just now catching on to this is a little bit crazy, but it's great information so that we can kind of go forward with this knowledge and do what we can to help improve on our microbiome. So what is the gut microbiome? Thanks for asking. The gut microbiome is a network of bacteria, archaea, viruses, fungi that live in a specific place, whether that be in your mouth, on your skin, in your vaginal canal, in your anal canal, in your ears, in your nose, in your eyes, etc. Anywhere that has an opening to the body or is the outside of the body has microbes living on it. And I know uh, commercials might have us thinking that all microbes are bad, but that's not true. And we're going to kind of talk a little bit more about why they're not all bad further on into this. But usually they are grouped together based on their appearance or an internal environment. So that's good to know. So if you're not into microbiology, just know that there are these really tiny structures. But if you want to know a little bit more detail, just understand that the microbes can contain a lot of different things. So the gut microbiome is the microbiome that lives from the beginning of your digestive system to the end of your digestive system. Usually, though, when people say gut microbiome, they're referring to the microbes that live in your large intestines or your colon, because that's where the majority of them actually do live. So when I do refer to the gut microbiome, just kind of think back to that, because that's really what I'm trying to dig into and talk about. So 90% of this gut microbiome is made of bacteria. Remember, it could be bacteria, archaea, fungi, viruses, etc., So most of it is bacteria. And when you think of this bacteria, I want you to remember that it is extremely, extremely, extremely small. So a human cell can be between 10,000 and 100,000 nanometers in size. 
don't focus on the nanometer if you don't know what that size is. Just know it's like really, really small. And a bacteria cell is 1,000 nanometers. So it is between 10 to 100 times smaller than a human cell. So there can be a whole lot of them in a small uh, area. And they can be a lot harder to see as well. So there are more microbes in and on us than there are actual cells of our own body. So you're not really you, you're you, well, you're the microbes plus you, <laughs> technically. And because they are so small, they only weigh about four pounds, which is kind of crazy if you think about it, because you weigh however many pounds you weigh with your cells. And now these things, there's more of them on and in you then there are cells of your body, but they only weigh four pounds, which is kind of cool too. So now you, now you know all this background information about the microbes, but why should you care? You should care because your microbiome contains 150 times more genes than your own body has. Now what that means is whatever genes you don't have that can code for beneficial properties within your body, we can lean on these microbes to provide for us because we can't make it ourselves. I'm going to talk more about that in detail, so just bear with me. Your micro, your microbiome can help you with digesting foods that you wouldn't have been able to on your own. They can help to create vitamins and other nutrients that your body needs. They play a role in our immune system. They can affect behavior. They can the presence of certain bacteria can be an indicator of, of health or disease, and they are heavily linked to our brains on a whole. So like I mentioned before, your genes versus your microbiome's genes, they have 150 times more genes than you do. These bacteria, because most of them are bacteria, remember, most of these can help your body to do the things it can't do on its own. So some examples of this would be certain pathways that you your genes don't code for. A lot of things in the body run on a chemical, biochemical basis. So basically that just means you have a whole bunch of chemical reactions taking place in your body all day long. And a lot of these require pathways to get to the desired product. Because they have more genes than we do, that also means that they can break down food that we can't break down. They can create byproducts that are helpful for us. So Let's say they eat something that, you know, we eat, we don't digest it, and then they eat it. They can then, in turn, create something on the other end that is beneficial to us. There's really a symbiotic relationship here. And by that, I mean, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. The reason why most of these bacteria or these microbes live in and on us is because they benefit from us. So if they benefit from living in and on us, they also we also have benefit from them. There's, we didn't have to sign a contract to make this happen. It kind of just happens in nature on its own. But they help us, we help them. Nothing in our body works in isolation. And that includes when you add these microbes to the mix as well. So I mentioned that they can create vitamins and other nutrients. It's a general, it's general knowledge that humans require certain vitamins and minerals to survive and thrive. That's why we take multivitamins. That's why we know that certain people are malnourished because they're not having the proper amount of 
uh, vitamins and minerals in their body or it could also just be they might not have enough food but that's another story for another day point i'm trying to make here is because we require certain vitamins and minerals and nutrients not necessarily minerals but just nutrients in general these bacteria can make some of these vitamins that our bodies can't make on our own sometimes our bodies or other mammals or animals on a whole can make vitamins that are required for them so an example of this would be proteins when it comes to proteins we have essential proteins and non-essential proteins we have essential proteins because those are those are the proteins that our bodies can't make so we have to get them in our diet so that we can survive and thrive the non-essential ones are the ones that our bodies actually code for and so we don't actually need to get them in our diet through other means so the same concept goes here when it comes to vitamins and things of that nature some of the gut microbes have the ability to make things like folate vitamin b12 vitamin k etc so like i said they have genes that code for more than what we do and that spills over into creating vitamins and other nutrients another nutrient that is included in this is the short chain fatty acid short chain fatty acids are there are different types of fatty acids or fats a certain type of fat rather that your body requires so some are short some are medium some are long and when it comes to short chain fatty acids our bodies cannot make this on our own we can't even get it through our diet but what happens is if we have certain microbes in our body if we feed certain microbes in our body let's say what they really like which is usually the term prebiotics which is usually translates to a certain type of fiber let's say we feed that to this population of microbes in our body they will in turn create these short chain fatty acids and our bodies need these short chain fatty acids because they short chain fatty acids work in your body on multiple levels but two of the biggest examples or three rather of the biggest examples of what short chain fatty acids do is once it is um, created by the bacteria or the microbes the colon cells will then absorb them and use them They'll use them to do things like maintain the intestinal barrier because there's a difference between your cells and other cells and there's a little barrier between them, which is very important because if you don't have that, then you'll have something that we, we call leaky gut. They help in making mucus production, mucus production in the digestive system, which is necessary because mucus, the mucus lines our cells and helps to protect them. They can protect against inflammation which reduces the risk of colorectal cancer. And what happens is after these colon cells will absorb these short chain fatty acids, they will also go to liver cells and the liver cells will also use them for whatever purpose they desire. Short chain fatty acids has also been seen to be necessary for something called the blood brain barrier, which is the barrier between your brain and kind of the rest of your body it is a very selective barrier because what goes to your brain can affect your brain and wants to make sure that you only get the really good good stuff so it's necessary for the blood brain barrier it's used in that and it supports other brain tissues they also have had studies showing that lower amounts of the short chain fatty acids can increase your risk of things like dementia alzheimer's etc 
So some brain-related diseases. So that is a very important metabolite. That's the term we'll use. It's also the, another term we can use is postbiotic. But that's another story for another day. I don't want to confuse you guys. So the short-chain fatty acids is a great example of I scratch your back, you scratch mine. They're creating these things that our body needs and thrives off of, and we feed them. They can also help to create something called enzymes. So enzymes help to lower the activation energy. So a very not so great example of this would be if it took 100 horsepowers to get your car to a certain speed. Your girl don't really know cars like that, so don't judge me too heavily on this analogy. If it took 100 horsepowers to get to 100 miles an hour, an enzyme would lower that energy, the energy necessary to get to 100 miles per hour. So instead of it being 100 horsepowers, it would be like 5 or 10. So enzymes are very necessary in the body because... Like I said before, everything is chemistry within your body and there are always things running all the time. So if it can lower that energy requirement needed to make something happen, it does. And that's amazing. So these microbes have the ability to make enzymes that are helpful for us. So I had to include this because your girl is very, very passionate about breastfeeding. There have been a lot of associations between gut health in children and breastfeeding. The type of birth you have does determine the type of microbes that colonize your baby's gut. Usually if you have a C-section, the hospital germs will colonize your baby's gut before anything else. And if you have a vaginal birth, you know, they go through your vaginal canal and whatever population of microbes you have in there will populate your baby's gut because that's their first entrance into the world after they've left the amniotic sac. With that being said, the next step, so if you did have a cesarean section, the population of gut microbes are a little bit different. That doesn't mean it's horrible necessarily um, compared to if you did have a vaginal birth. So there's that. But they also found that if your child is, if your baby is exposed to breast milk, that it will help to populate the good types of bacteria in your gut. And we're going to talk more about what's good, what's bad, etc. So bear with me. So breast milk has something called a human milk oligosaccharide. So basically that's a type of sugar. That's the type of sugar that your body or your baby's body actually cannot break down. But breast milk has a lot of it in it. And the reason for this is because this human milk oligosaccharide actually feeds the gut microbes in the baby's gut, which helps to populate and proliferate and make a very healthy gut microbe situation starting off in infancy. So if you do have the ability to breastfeed, this is awesome because you're starting your baby off with an awesome gut microbiome. So just wanted to put that out there. So remember I mentioned before that your gut microbiome can affect your behavior. Several studies have actually shown a link between depression and a poor microbiome this is kind of known even now i've there are prebiotics excuse me there are probiotics on the market that have not false claims but they do claim to help with depression because um supposedly the probiotics have the correct types of bacteria to help um, aid in that 
The relationship between the gut and behavior slash the brain is not fully understood, but what we do know is that there are several pathways that the microbiome can use to access the brain. One of those pathways is through the vagus nerve, which is one of the largest nerves in your body, and it can influence the central nervous system, which is your brain and your spinal cord. So basically, even though they are or reside in your gut, they can hijack your brain and cause you to have certain behaviors that you might or might not like. So as we're digging deeper in, I hope you're seeing the value of these microbes. So I want to tell you a quick story about a certain type of microbe. But before I tell you about the microbe directly, I'm going to just kind of give you a background story. So there was a researcher that did an experiment with rats. And what she did is she put different types of urine in a cage and observed the behavior of the rats. Now, from an evolutionary standpoint, it would make sense that rats would detest the urine of any type of cat because, you know, those are their predators. They are the prey to cats. So she put giraffe urine, she put cat urine, she put a couple of other animals, and she just wanted to observe their behavior. So what she noticed was there was a split. There was a split between the rats that were afraid slash went in the opposite direction of the cat urine, and then there was a group of rats that almost liked it and went in that direction. And what she found out was that the group of rats that liked slash wanted to get closer and were attracted to the cat urine had a certain microbe called Taxoplasmaza gondii. And basically, this is an archaea. It's not a, it's not a bacteria. And it had learned to pretty much hijack the brain of these rats so that this type of microbe likes and thrives off of felines. So what it does is it does whatever it possibly can to get into the um, GI tract of a cat. Okay, it thrives off of cats. It is found in humans too sometimes, but that's besides the point. This archaea, this microbe had figured out a way to hijack the brain of the rat so that it pretty much went towards its predators so that it can end up in the GI system of the cat. Did you get that? Like, when I heard this, I was like, what? That's crazy. That's crazy. So that's just an example of how um, how it can hijack your brain. I didn't give the specifics on how it does it, but it just does, okay? And since that researcher has done that research, there has been multiple other people showing and validating her research on this. This Toxoplasmaza, Toxoplasmata gandhi can also be seen in humans, and it has been shown that if it is in your system that you do engage in more risky behavior, which is kind of interesting too, but that's besides the point. So I just wanted to give you guys that example so that you can see that the type of microbes that you have do make a difference in your overall behavior. Now, I'm getting a little bit 
further into the presentation and I don't want to talk too much so I'm gonna just let's see because I actually have a PowerPoint of this which I wanted to present at different uh, places and stuff but that's all right um, let's see I'm gonna go through a couple more slides I'm going to try to make it go quickly because I want to be respectful of your time. So gut health and disease state. So your gut health can say a lot about your state of health. There's a term called gut dysbiosis. And basically that means that your gut is not in a happy state. And what we'll do is next week we'll go over what it means for your gut to actually be in a happy state. but this gut dysbiosis has been found to be seen in people that have type 2 diabetes, type 1 diabetes, irritable bowel di disease and irritable bowel syndrome, heart disease, even coronavirus, colorectal cancer, autism, and obesity. So your gut and the immune system. So 70%, about 70% of your immune system is located in your gut. It's in a certain type of tissue called malt or aka mucosa-associated lymphoid tissue, if you want the specifics. And basically what, what happens is you have a whole lot of white blood cells chilling out in these areas to make sure that as you are digesting your food and things are coming through from the outside world, that they are defending and making sure that you're not uh, eating anything that's bad, eating any bad bacteria or too much of any bad bacteria. So technically, your gut from your mouth to your anus is considered outside of your body because there's a whole tube. It's a, it's a, tubo, a tube, tubule system where everything is encased. Everything is encased and nothing is supposed to be open so that it can enter into, like, let's say, your blood circulation. So everything is lined with cells and the type of microbes you have, the population of them, etc., they can also help to regulate your immune system. They can make it go haywire, which can lead to an autoimmune disease, or it can make it go a little bit dormant so it's not as active as it should be. So that's something to also keep in mind. These, these microbes are very, very, very powerful, so we shouldn't underestimate them. So yeah, I'm going to leave it there for today. And for next week, we're going to do a part two for this. Um, I'm going to tell you what a healthy microbiome looks like. And I'm going to tell you what you can do to make sure that you have the most optimal, healthy microbiome. What the things that you can eat and stuff that will give you the best microbiome outcome. Yeah. So I hope you have liked this. If it has been informational for you, definitely give me a five-star rating. You can totally leave a review as well and share this out with somebody who you love and who has asked you or doesn't fully understand what the gut microbiome is and is trying to understand. I'm trying to educate out, out here and make a difference. So definitely let me know if this has helped you and stay tuned for next week where we're going to go over some more information about the gut microbiome. And thank you for being here. See you in the next one. That is all I have for you all today. Thank you so much for spending your time listening to me. I hope you join me in the next one to learn more about health topics that can help you improve your life so you can be happy in your dwelling place.
Love you all. Bye.